believe God has something to speak to us through this story of the greatest story ever told. So let's prepare our hearts. flashlight was, this isn't nice, is it, right? Just to shine that in people's eyes. It was the most important tool of Christmas Eve as a child. Does anybody else remember the flashlight at Christmas Eve as a child? Because on Christmas Eve night, every year, I slept with my brother. We always slept together. Anybody else sleep with your siblings on Christmas Eve? Now, why did you do that? Why'd you do that? So you get up together, right? And we always had a flashlight so that we could sneak in without waking up mama and daddy, right? Did you do this? And you had a flashlight, you would sneak in to see what Santa brought, right? It was dark in the middle of the night. One year, uh, as this progressed, my brother's eight and a half years older than me. So when he was like junior, senior in high school, I'm still elementary school. So, you know, once he got to high school, he was like too cool for school to get up. We still did the sleeping together thing, but I became the secret agent. So I would go and then I would come back and report to him all that he had gotten and all that I had gotten. So that was kind of the way it did. So one morning when he was in high school and I was the one that would get up, I get up and I get my flashlight and I go in and I look in the den, I turn the corner and I was terrified. Do you know why? There was nothing. There was nothing. It was as if Christmas had never happened. Of course, I figured out, I go back to my brother. I tell him, I'm like, Courtney, you're not going to believe it. There's nothing. There's nothing. He assured me that it was probably just a little too early. And that turns out it was right. Santa was on the West coast, making his way East. He had just not gotten, you know, to the South yet. So, and when we got up later, uh, and we woke up at our normal time, Santa had come and it was, it was Christmas for sure. But that was a scary thought. Christmas for us is so much a part of our yearly routine. It's so much a part of what we do of our calendar. Every year on December 25th, we know that Christmas is coming. And we know that the season is going to roll around every year. We're reminded of this on Labor Day when they start selling Christmas decorations, right? Next year, it's going to be after July 4th. They're just going to move it up, keep moving it up. And we know that Christmas is just coming. But there was a time when nothing happened in late December. You ever thought about that? There was a time when there was no Christmas Because there was a time there was no Christ. In fact, the people who called themselves the people of God, the nation of Israel, the people who called themselves faithful to God and followers of God had no Christmas, no concept of what we 
have been thinking, have we think of during the holidays? In fact, they had been wait, God had not even done anything for over 400 years. Don't you think about how long that is. You know, old America is not 400 years old, like not even 250 years old yet. 400 years. That's how long it had been since God had been on the scene. If you have your Bible, there are two sections in the Bible. Many of you are familiar with this, but maybe the Bible's kind of new to you. If you don't have one, take one. Uh, either section you go out of, they're free Bibles we'd love to give you. And the Bible's divided into two sections. There's the Old Testament, which is all the story of God and the founding and the story of God through the people of Israel, everything before Jesus. And then there's the New Testament. It starts with Matthew. And it's everything that happens from the birth of Jesus on and the story of the church and the birth of the first Christians. And the very last prophet in the Old Testament is a prophet called Malachi. And he was on the scene about 425 BC. He was the last in a long line of great prophets of Israel. Prophets who promised of a better day. There's gonna be a better day, guys. They had some rough times. Prophets who promised of a Messiah that would come. Prophets who promised of a savior that would come. And Malachi was the last one and Malachi died. And then there's a little page in my Bible that's blank on one side and the other, other page says New Testament. And you know how much that page represents? 400 years. We don't read it that way. They should put that. It should be like, Dot, 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 400 years later. 400 years. Nothing. Silence. No prophets. No prophecy. No signs. Do you think that over 400 years of silence that they wondered where God was? Do you think that any of them wondered if there was even a God at all? Think about the stories their great-great-granddaddies had told them. They had heard stories that there was a God who delivered their people by parting the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. That there was a God who rose up a mighty nation under King David that there was a God who helped them build an incredible temple. And even when it was destroyed, they rebuilt it and he restored his people. They had heard these stories. They had heard about prophets. But how many generations have to pass over 400 years before you just start wondering if they're just stories? And if it's really real and if God will ever do anything ever again. You see, because no Christmas didn't just mean no Black Friday sales. How many of you went Black Friday shopping? Anybody? I went for some reason. Um, I'd go in every store like, we're going to wait in that line to buy this, you know, right? We went. It didn't mean just no Black Friday shopping. It didn't mean no silver bells, no jingle jam. That would be a bummer, right? No presents, no trees, no wreaths, no fruitcake, probably a plus. No Christmas meant no hope. No Christmas meant no Christ. 
and maybe no future. If prophet after prophet had promised a savior was going to come, that there would be light in the darkness, that there was a God who keeps his promises, and for 400 years, no promise is kept. Maybe there isn't a future after all. Have you been in a season where it felt like 400 years? I mean, have you been in a season and maybe you just say it's a spiritually dry season. Maybe it's just a season where you got far from God. Maybe it's just a season where you wondered if God was even real. And maybe some of you came today for the first time and you're not even sure that all this stuff is real, but you're curious and it feels, you feel like that. Like it has been a long time. It has been weeks. It has been months. It has been years. Maybe it has been decades since you have even heard God's voice or even thought that God might be doing something. We need, what do you do when God is silent? We need to understand this because these aren't just stories. This happened. This is really real. And these were really people who lived in this silence of 400 years. And I think we find our story in their story. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at all these people that were a part of the very first Christmas. And every single one of them had not heard from God. Their daddy had not heard from God. Their grandma had not heard from God. Their great, 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 great grandma had not heard from God. Nobody that they had knew or had ever known or had ever even heard of hardly had heard from God because he had been silent for 400 years. And I think they can teach us a lot about how we are called to live when it feels like God is silent. Because their story in the very first Christmas might be the story that we're going through this Christmas. So since God had been silent for 400 years, he wanted to make some noise before he came on the scene. And no better way to make noise, he needed a prophet. We know this prophet by the name John the Baptist. But the story that we're going to read really isn't about John. It's about John's mama and daddy, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Elizabeth is the cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus. But she doesn't know she's Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's just Mary, right? It's hard to wrap our minds around it because you've got a little Mary and Joseph. You set it out Friday afternoon, right? You got a little Mary and Joseph, and that's just what you do. And we just know them as Mary, but they were just Mary, and they were just Joseph. And he was just Elizabeth, he was just Zechariah, and she was just Elizabeth, and they were just people. But I think Elizabeth and Zechariah have something important to teach us, because here's what Elizabeth and Zechariah had they had a dream. Do you have a dream? They had a dream. Now, I'm not talking about just a, a sleepy dream. You know what I mean? Not like they had a dream, a sleepy dream, like you probably had when you fell asleep watching the Cowboys Thursday afternoon after taking a turkey nap. Anybody take a turkey nap? There ain't no nap like a turkey nap, right? On Thanksgiving afternoon. That's the, those are the best naps. I'm not talking about a sleepy dream. I'm talking about they had a dream. But this just wasn't a dream of like, oh, we want to retire here one day or we want to have a vacation home here one day. No, no, no. This dream was a God-sized dream. You know what a God-sized dream is? It's a dream you can't pull off by yourself. 
It's a dream that's so big that it can only be explained if God shows up. Like there, there's just going to know, it's, it's a dream so big that you know you can't accomplish the dream without an answer to prayer. And this was a simple dream, but it was God-sized for them because there was something they couldn't do that they needed God to show. Their God-sized dream was to have a baby, have a child. And for whatever reason, Elizabeth has not been able to have a child. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give them a baby in a day and age when physicians, there was very little they could do to help. They just knew how to pray. But what's your God-sized dream? Do you have one? It might be the same as theirs. It might be to have a baby. And you've prayed and prayed and prayed. And you're still praying. It might be to find the right man or the right woman if you're single. It might be to start a business or to start a nonprofit. It might mean to get a job. It might be to change careers. It might be to go back to school and you're not sure how you're going to work it out because you got kids now and you got a job and you got to pay for it and you don't have time. But it's just this dream you had and you could do that. You could go in a totally different direction. It might be to write a book. It might be to adopt a baby. It might be to do something with this gift, this art, this music that God put in you to share with the world. What's this God-sized dream? Sometimes it's so personal. And because it's so big, you haven't even told anybody. Like you haven't even told your spouse because you're afraid to even speak that God-sized dream because people would just think, well, that's nuts. That could never happen. And you're like, I know it's God-sized. It's a big dream. And I think Elizabeth and Zechariah have a lot to teach us. I just want to read their story. And then I want to go back and unpack a couple of things in their story. This is what it says in Luke chapter one. Uh, And the words are going to be on the string. Just follow along. We're starting in verse 5 and going through verse 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in God's sight, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Two things jump out that are characteristics I see in Zechariah and Elizabeth, necessary for God-sized dreams and one reality that every person of faith has to own if we say we're gonna be people of faith and people of God that we have to own that are part of our God-sized dream. The first thing that jumps out to me, the first characteristics I found is in verse six. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They were righteous They had observed the commands. They were blameless. They were obedient. They had done what God told them to do in the middle of your prayer, in the middle of your desert, in the middle of your waiting, in the middle of the season of silence. Cultivate your character. The only card you and I have to play is not all the circumstances around us. The only card we have to play is whether or not we're going to choose, as part of a God-sized dream, obedience. Are we going to be obedient? God is looking for obedient hearts. God is looking for people who are righteous, blameless, who are going to trust him, who have been following him. And what a shame it would be, what a shame it would be for God to be ready to do something in your life and you're not ready. I shudder to think at the things I have missed out on that God wanted to do in and through me because I was spiritually unready. Don't miss that. Because here's what I've learned. God often chooses the least likely characters, but rarely chooses those with the least character. He loves choosing the least likely characters, but he rarely chooses those with the least likely character. Abraham was 90 and a really bad guy to choose if you're going to choose somebody to be a father of many nations. The least likely, hey, what would be the least likely character we could choose? Let's choose a 90-year-old guy who doesn't have any children. Perfect. But you know what Abraham did? He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was the least likely character, but he didn't have the least character. He had the most character. David was the least likely character to be king of Israel. In fact, his own father said, you talking about my youngest son? Well, he's kind of scrawny and he's a runt. I don't think you want him. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's the least likely character of all your sons, Jesse. But you know what the Bible describes him as? a man after God's own heart. God loves choosing the least likely characters, but he rarely chooses those with the least character. 
And in their waiting, in their, in, their, in their prayer, the thing that I love that they did is that they worked on their obedience. They followed God. They were, they were blameless. They were righteous. So if you want to see God-sized dreams come to fruition tomorrow, the best thing to do is to obey today. And some of us want God to do something when we won't do the things God has already told us to do. He would say, already did something. Could you do something about that first? If you want me to do something else, second. Obedience. But, <clears throat> listen, really important, and Zechariah and Elizabeth teaches this. Obedience doesn't mean expedience. And that rhymes because I'm a preacher. <laughs> That's what we do. In other words, just because you're obedient, don't expect it to happen on your timetable. Remember, they had been what? Blameless, righteous, obedient. They observed all the commands. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Just because you are obedient, just because you are righteous, just because you are blameless does not mean God will answer your prayer and especially on your timetable. There is an epidemic going around American Christianity that says, if I live right, I'll get right. If I'm in the right posture with God, I'll get prosperity from God. That says, if I do the right things and obey God, I will be blessed and highly favored. Can I just tell you something? Listen, listen a little really close. You don't deserve anything else from God. You are blessed and highly favored already because God sent his only son, Jesus, to die a death you could not die and give you a grace you could never earn. You, you, you don't need anything else. You, you want to be blessed and highly favored. You don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve, but God has chosen to give us eternal life through his son. There is no promise that if you are obedient, that you will get something else from God. The promise of God from scripture is that we have all been disobedient and we got what we didn't deserve. You couldn't be more favored. You couldn't be more loved. You couldn't be more graced. You already gotten more than your share. <laughs> more than your share. Grace upon grace. I wish I could tell you, man, I wish I could tell you that if you just followed this book, that it also says you will get what you pray for. And it just, it just doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes, sometimes you pray. Can we go back to that last one? And it says they were what? Old. How old is very old? That's a moving target, isn't it? Right? I used to think 40 was old, and I think it's so young now. Really, 80, 90? I mean, I think we can agree 90's pretty, pretty old, right? 90's pretty old. How long do you think they've been praying for a baby? Since they were 20? So maybe they've been praying 50, 60, maybe 70 years. But they had show us something. That not only is obedience required, if you want to see a God-sized dream come into fruition, so is patience. 
You know what patience is? It's two obediences in a row. Right? It's easy to be obedient once. Okay, I did it, God. Do I get it now? It's just, it's just obedience stretched out. It's just obedience over and over and over. I love the great Eugene Peterson who wrote, uh, who's a great pastor and seminary professor and, and writer. He wrote, wrote the message translation of the Bible or translated it into modern day language. Some of you carry around a message. And he said this, that it's long obedience in the same direction. And man, I think about that every day. Like, I just want to do that. Just long obedience in the same direction. That's all I'm trying to do for weeks, for months, for years, even if I don't see any results. Sometimes the reason we don't see God answer our prayers is we're not willing to be patient enough to wait. So we take matters into our own hands, don't we? And since we didn't get that job, we just get a job. And since we didn't find the girl, we just get a girl. And boy, you can make some mistakes doing that, can't you? You can end up in the wrong job with the wrong guy, the wrong girl, the wrong business partner, doing the wrong things. Just wait. And that's so important for this. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life and when he wants to do it. But will you be ready? You have no idea. Check this out. Check this out. This is crazy. This is crazy. This one, it says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, if you don't know about the, uh, if you don't know about the, the temple and how it all worked, you'll, you'll just miss it. But this is so crazy, okay? So Zechariah was a priest in one of the divisions. It said earlier he was part of the division of Abijah. There were 24 divisions of priests that served twice a year for a week at a time. So they only served for two weeks the entire year. And in each division, there were six family groups in each division. And when they went to serve their week, each family group served one of the six normal days. On the Sabbath, it was kind of its own deal and all the priests served together. But on the regular days from Sunday to Friday, each family group took one day. So honestly, Zechariah actually only served as priestly duties two days out of the entire year. And on each day, here's what would happen. There were actually more priests in each family group than there were duties to go around. So sometimes you would go serve and you would actually never do anything because you just didn't get chosen. They would choose by lot. Now, here's what it meant to choose by lot. They would get all the priests in a circle and they would, uh, if there was, let's say there was 20 of them there and they would just pick a number. The chief priest would stand in the middle and he'd pick a number and he'd just, he would pick a number that he knew was more than there were in the circle, 57. And then another priest would take the hat off one of the other priest. So that meant that was where you started. And you'd start at that priest in the circle and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. You went all the way around until you got to 57. And if he landed on you, you were the priest that got to do that thing. Most of the jobs took more than one priest. Some of them took several. But the most important lot, there were four each day of priestly duties. The most important was the third one. And the third one, only one priest got chosen. And it was to go burn incense. 
And here's the, the interesting thing about this. You could only do it once in your lifetime. In fact, before the third lot call, the chief would always kind of call out for that it was time for the lot. And before the third lot, he would say, newcomers only. Now, that, what that meant was if you had never burned the incense. You remember what it said about Zechariah? He was what? Very old. Not just old. He was very old. He was very old. He had been serving faithful his whole life as a priest, and he had never, ever gotten to do the one thing that every priest wanted to do. Go burn the incense in front of the curtain that separated the temple from the Holy of Holy, the presence of God. And the priest believed that the, a special mercy and blessing was there. It's the one thing he'd always wanted to do. How many t- years in a row do you have to do that? Do you just think it'll just never come for me? But on this day, he goes. And at that moment, what had been his obedience and his patience met the moment he had always been waiting for and heaven and earth met in his life. And what that moment happened is he had no idea that what God wanted to do in him that day was write a story that would answer a God-sized dream that would mark and etch his name in history forever. He had no idea. And it was better than he imagined. They weren't just going to have a child. They were going to have a great child who was not just going to be any old dude. He was going to be the last great prophet of Israel to walk in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the day of the Lord. And don't you think Zechariah thought at that moment, I'm glad we were obedient and I'm glad we were patient. It's an amazing scene, but then catch this. And this is really the key point. He asked a question that we're all asking all the time of God. Did you catch it? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? To which I'm pretty sure Gabriel responded, do you, do you mean besides the fact that there's an angel standing in front of you telling you? In fact, that's what he answered. Do you remember Gabriel's like, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to tell you. That was like, that was like uh, what else do you want me to say? But we all ask this, I'm, and here's what we say, how, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along years and this is how you know that getting, being married hadn't changed much in 2,000 years. Men, he's an old man, right? But his wife is just well along in years. She's seasoned, experienced, she's mature, you never call your wife an old woman, smart man, right? Said he was blameless. What he's saying is this is scientifically impossible. This is going to take something supernatural to happen. Here's the question that we all want to ask when we, got, we have this God-sized dream in our heart, when we have this thing in our lives that we know God is calling us to do, we know God is telling us to do, we feel like God is speaking into us. Here's the question we all want to be asked. How can I be sure? How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure that you're calling me to do this? How can I be sure that this is going to happen? How can I be sure that that I'm hearing you right, God? Isn't that the question? How can I be sure that you're going to come through? And do you know the answer to the question? You can't. You can't be sure. If you could be sure, it wouldn't be called faith. Dreams that come from you count on you. But if the dream comes from God, the dreamer will have to count on God. There will have to be an element to your life, to your faith, that just, that it, it has to come from God. 
And there will have to be a supernatural element. And the only thing that you and I can do is be obedient, wait, do things God's way, wait on God's timing. But what a ride. The truth is, some of you need a bigger dream. Some of you just have a small dream and the only thing you need for it to get accomplished is for the stock market to have a good month. And that's not the story I want you to have. I want you to have a story where the only explanation is, man, God showed up and showed out. I can't explain it any other way. Isn't that the dream you want in your life? Isn't that the story you want in your life? That it's about obedience and patience. It's about waiting on God. Because here's the deal. The reason you can't, the reason you've got to count on God, because here's what God wants you to know. It's the same message he's had since the beginning of time. I want you to trust me. It's the message since the very first message. Adam and Eve, there's a great tree over here. You can eat from that. There's this tree over here that I don't want you to eat from. I know, God, but it looks so good and yummy and it's good for food. That's great. Why can't we eat from that? Because I want you to trust me. Abraham, uh, Noah, I want you to build an ark because there's going to be a great flood. God, it's not even right. It's not even cloudy outside. I'm going to look like an idiot. I know you're going to look like an idiot, totally. But I want you to trust me. Abraham, I want you to take your only son and prepare to sacrifice him. But God, you said I was going to be the father of many nations, and it was already kind of a long shot that I had a baby anyway, and he was the only one I had. How can I be a father of many nations if I sacrifice my... I know it doesn't. It makes no sense, Abraham, but I want you to trust me. Moses, I want you to go before the most powerful man that the world has ever known, the Pharaoh, who is in charge of the most powerful army that the world has ever known, and I want you to tell him, hey, let my people go. God, God, I'm not good at, I don't think that's a good idea. And I stutter when I talk anyway. I don't think I'm going to even be able to get it out. I know it's not going to make any sense. You're going to be terrible at it, but I want you to trust me. God, how can I be sure that Elizabeth and I are going to have a baby? You can't. I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me. You can't be sure. God wants you to trust him. You know how you trust him? You know how you show trust? Obedience and patience. And if the dream comes from God, you won't have to count on you or somebody else or circumstances. You'll have to count on God. And here's what I want for you. I want you to have that moment. I want all of us to have that moment that Elizabeth had. Did you catch it at the end of it? After his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, she said this, the Lord has done this for me. He showed up and man, he showed out. But it might mean you have to wait 30, 40, 50 years. When uh, we first heard about mountaintop immediately emily and i felt called to come here i mean i I just i can't describe it any other way it was one of the strongest feelings i felt in my life um I, i i described it as i felt i felt called the way i felt when i met my wife like it was that strong and we but we both felt this 
And so I applied to be pastor here, but one, I didn't know a soul. I know so. And you know what they say about trying to get any job. It's not what you know, it's what? It's who you know. And I was a complete stranger. I Facebook stalked all the staff. I had like no common friends. I'm like, how's that possible, right? How's that possible in the South? Like we don't have the same friends. So I had nobody to call and put in a good word for me. So we just prayed, but we, we got a chance to, to meet elders and interview and talk. And we just, every time, every conversation, we felt more and more called, but it took months and months. We knew one thing that God was calling us out of where we were to some kind of new ministry. And in the, in the, probably in the toughest season of that waiting, I found out about another church that eh, it might've fit. It was about 45 minutes from my hometown. I didn't tell you all this mom and daddy. So they're hearing this for the first time. <clears throat> I called the chairperson of the pastor search committee. Um, you know, it felt okay, but it wasn't mountaintop. I knew it was not where I was supposed to be, but I knew some people who knew some people there. And I thought I could probably get that job. And I called one of my mentors who, uh, who had been praying with me through the whole process. And uh, I said, what do, you, what do you think I should do? And he said, Carter, in every conversation we've had, it sounds like you have a calling from God to go to mountaintop. And God hasn't told you no yet. So just wait. Never send in that resume. I'm glad I waited. Glad I waited. Hey, no, no. It was dadgum hard to wait. Because it's hard to count on God when you don't control the circumstances. And some of you are in seasons right now and you've been waiting a whole lot longer than a few months. And you've got a God-sized dream that you're just praying for something to happen. And I just want to tell you, you can do two things be obedient and put two obediences in a row and be patient and trust. I want to tell you something. You can count on God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to believe that in our silence that sometimes feels like 400 years that you are doing something for some of us, it's been months, years, decades that we've been praying about something. We got this dream in our heart that we believe you put there and we don't know what to do with it. Lord, help us today to just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you enough to do the right things even when I'm not getting what I think are the right results. I'm gonna trust you even if it's not on my timing. I'm gonna trust you even if I never see it. I'm gonna trust that if it didn't come true, it wasn't from you. And you've got something better. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the witness of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the first Christmas of a couple who waited and for a baby boy who prepared the way for his cousin to save the world and save us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
our elders and some of our prayer team are going to be forward here, come forward here. And if you want to come, you've got a dream in your heart. You've got something you need to pray about.